Fitzroy will be <clears throat> all too aware of your visitor. Let me tell you, just a few weeks ago, I spent a, a little bit of time in America, speaking in very different places. Um, Vineyard Church in Delaware, Ohio, uh, another independent church in Delaware, Ohio. We were looking at building a city of light. They're moving into the middle of the city, and they were um, asking themselves how they could cross the boundaries of the city, and Four Corners Festival had grabbed their attention, and I was sharing something of that. Um, I was in the University of Dayton, which is a Catholic university, an amazing uh, place, and we did the gospel according to Mumford and Sons with a live band. Um, we were having a meal before it, and the band looked at me and said, we could be really awful. And I said, I have considered that for a couple of weeks, but they were absolutely amazing, and it was a, a remarkable uh, night. And then we, uh, I went to a, a, an outreach project in the middle of Cincinnati. There's actually a, a city within a city in Cincinnati called Norwood. And uh, the vineyard in Norwood, one of them decided a while back to start a rugby team. Yes, a rugby team. One of the first guys into the event was wearing an Ulster top. It was very disconcerting. Um, there's an Ulster society there that plays a lot of rugby. But this person in the church decided to start a rugby team to reach out to the young men of this particular neighborhood. And that is close to my heart because the best team in the world, not winning much this year, but certainly the best team in the world, Manchester City, as the front row will declare to you today, started because the daughter, a Northern Irish daughter of the months, decided to start a football team in inner city Manchester to do some outreach among the young men of her neighborhood. So this idea in Norwood um, was close to my heart in lots of ways. I have some daughters in my months. I would love them to start a Manchester City at some stage of their lives, but they have very little interest in that particular thing. So that was an interesting night to look at um, many different things. But the main reason I was there, I was in Calvin College doing chaplain stuff as well. But the main reason I was there was this church in Birmingham, Alabama. I tell you, when you move from Ohio to Birmingham, Alabama, it's like moving from Ireland to the middle of Siberia culturally. It's just, we have different names for the countries and our uh, European landmass. They don't, they have the same name, but my goodness, those are theologically, culturally, and in every way, completely different. The reason it was in Birmingham is that for 107 years, they have been doing Lenten lunches. They call, they call it fill up in body and soul. And so for half an hour at lunchtime, every weekday during Lent, they have a half hour uh, short um, prayer and hymn and then a 20 minute address to those around the city who come in to hear this. And I was doing uh, three of those addresses. Now, the reason I got there was because a theologically astute man called Paul Zal, I think he's written some stuff in the New Testament, had two weaknesses, Hollywood films and you too. And so about 10 years ago, he invited me out to do this because of his U2 thing. So in order to humor them, basically, and have a reason to be there with all the other much more intelligent people than me that speak at those Lenten lunches, I decided to go back to U2. Now, what it might surprise you is that for four years, I really have had no interest in U2. I haven't listened to hardly any songs. I haven't read anything about them. Now and again... Something will come up and I'll do something. But it was really interesting that for these three days and for the preparation for it to get back into not the music of U2, but the incredible riches of the theology of U2. And the phrase that I used for these three days was a phrase that Bono has 
uh, meant it, called interruption of grace. Interruptions of grace. I think it's an incredibly helpful phrase that grace is something that interrupts. Bono says, grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which he adds, in his case, is very good news indeed. And in my case. In your case. He goes on to say where this grace comes from. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am and I hope I do not have to depend on my own religiosity. Grace interrupts our actions. Bono would say it interrupts our karma. He sings that grace lives outside of karma. And why can he believe in this grace interruption? Because Jesus took his sins on the cross. He can't depend on his own religiosity. But it's not just for his own life, this grace interrupting idea. In South Africa, as can happen, I probably told you, uh, in South Africa, Brent will be able to tell you, if you go to a a church uh, in the black townships or uh, in South Africa, it's likely that well, it's likely you're one of the few whites that are there. So it's likely that sometime during the service when you're feeling most comfortable, the minister will say, Steve will come up and give us a word. And this has happened to me countless times, almost every time that I've been in uh, the church that we used to attend in Gugaletu. But one morning, Spiwo didn't invite me up. Benediction was over. I just sort of relaxed back into my seat. When I heard the words from the front, Now, this morning we have nine baptisms to do, and I thought I would invite my friend Steve to come and do the baptisms. Thought I'd get away with it. And there was one of those children, black baby, looked up at the first white man he'd ever seen, and when I threw water on his head, he actually needed an ambulance at that point. He was in such deep shock. But you two were with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and the same thing happened to them. Tutu says to them, you two are here and they sing, so they'll sing us a song. Not as easy to sing a song when you're you two unless you have a stadium full of equipment. So what did they do? Bono says, we didn't know what to do. So we did an a cappella version of Amazing Grace. And then he says this, because this is a story of grace in action. Grace interrupting karma again. That's what truth and reconciliation is all about. Grace interrupting. So in Birmingham, Alabama, I looked on the first day at how grace interrupts history in the manger. That interruption that shuddered the very ground underneath Herod's feet. He knew something was going on. There was an interruption in history where things as they were were not going to be the same again. Then I spoke the second day about the interruptions of Good Friday, when the sky went black when the curtain in the temple was interrupted, rent in two. A huge interruption in the way things were. God's grace interrupting on the cross. And then on the Wednesday, I looked at the interruption of resurrection. As we go to the tomb expecting the dead, and everything has been interrupted. 
The stone is rolled away and the grace interruption of resurrection is a reality. Paul in Philippians touches on all of this stuff. I'm not going to go into it. Some night we will indulge and those of you not interested can stay away. But it would seem to me that for some reason Philippians is really crucial in the catalog of you two. But let me go into Philippians chapter 2 and see an interruption. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul is telling the Philippians that the way we live our lives has been grace interrupted. We need to live a different way. Why does he say it? Because he's seeking an interruption in the fellowship that he's writing to. There's divisions. People are living as if they haven't got the attitude of Christ. People are pointing the finger across the church. There are dissensions. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, Paul writes, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking for your own interests, but each of you looking for the interests of others. This is a different way to live. When I'm out there, storming the law courts, or on board of governors meetings, or on the television, or in some radio interview in the morning, we don't expect anything different than people disunity, disharmony, arguing, debating, looking after their own interests, not thinking or caring about the interests of others. But when we come in here, and I have the privilege of pastoring a church, Grace interruption changes the way we treat one another. But let's move on to chapter 3. Paul knows interruption in his own life. In verse 8, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that which is through faith in Christ but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is on the basis of faith. Do you see the seamlessness of the Apostle Paul and the scruffy singer in you too? I remember speaking once in Balamina Academy at the SU and this woman came up to me after it and she said, Paul Hewson, Paul Hewson. I thought he was maybe an upper sixth. But over it, because I wasn't expecting this woman to be speaking in my kind of terms. But she said, Paul Hewson for the third time and I went, does she mean Bono? And I said, yeah. And she said, he used to sit at Bible studies in our front room. Oh, he could expound Romans like nobody else of his age. And then the next night, the next night, he would be on some television show from Germany in leather trousers and looking like a punk. (laughs) 
that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. Paul's life was interrupted by grace. Not only on the road to Damascus where it turned around for him, but in his very thinking as to how to get to God. Everything was interrupted for Paul. Grace became the new currency. But it didn't finish there because he goes on. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. We have many problems within evangelical circles. Many things that at this the latter part of the 20th century and the early parts of the 21st century that we're trying to correct and put right. And one of them is that many of us live between the fall and the cross. All our theology, all our experience is lived between the fall and the cross. And we miss the fact that it's so much bigger than that. Creation is vitally important to understanding the preciousness of the human. And the cross without the resurrection you see the cross the table it is finished. Perhaps we took that wrong. And we didn't realize it was finished that he dealt with our sins. We thought it was finished. We're sorted. We're going to heaven. Good Friday, it is finished, yes. But today is not Friday. Today is not Saturday where the body lay in the tomb. Today is Easter Sunday where Jesus is resurrected to life and the new life starts here. Couldn't start without Friday. But it didn't end on Friday. We shouldn't be living between the fall and the cross. We need to get beyond the cross to resurrection. The shackles are undone. The bullets quit the gun. The heat that's in the sun will keep us when there's none. The rule has been disproved. The stone, it has been moved. The grave is now a groove. All the debts are removed. Can't you see what love has done? Can't you see what love has done? Can't you see what love has done and what it's doing to me? Bono the theologian again. Resurrection song window in the sky. Can't you see what love has done, but what it's doing to me? It's got to be constantly interrupting our lives. Yes, grace is a ticket into the kingdom. No point in having a ticket if you don't get on the train, if you don't go to the game, if you don't enjoy the concert. Yes, it's a ticket into the kingdom, but it's more than that. 
It's the very fuel and energy, the power of resurrection that allows us to live a different kind of life. Grace interrupts to bring us into the kingdom. Grace interrupts by changing the way we live in the kingdom. Grace eventually makes us grace interrupters. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Here's a question I asked in chapel at Calvin College to 20-year-old students with it all in front of them. Is grace a selfish Santa Claus delivery of heaven? Is that what it is? Can't you see what love has done? It is finished. Ah, I'm going to heaven. Santa has delivered my ticket. Is that what it is? Because if it is, I find nowhere from Genesis to Revelation that makes it either biblical or Christian. Grace is a selfless following of the one who gave us grace. Friday night for me, without offense to the actors, every one of you was outstanding. I mean, I mean that, outstanding. But there were many things that touched me afresh. And one of them was that scene that they showed the movie of the Lord's Supper. And Jesus saying, by this all people will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another as I have loved you. First, second bit of that's great. As he loved me. It's done. It's finished. But the collision is that he wants us to love one another as he loved us. Who do you know what comes to your mind that you just cannot stand? Die for them. Give your entire life for them. It's nothing less. See what love has done and what it's doing for me. In these verses in Philippians 3, the power of resurrection and the sharing of sufferings are all intermingled. The power of resurrection will lead us into all kinds of emotional, mental, social, maybe physical, turmoil of suffering. How do you forgive? How do you give up your life? How do you stop being the center of the universe? Because he who was the center of the universe gave up everything. Look what love has done and what it's doing to me. So what about it? My old administrator and chaplaincy put up on Facebook on Friday, I understand it. You live with 88 students for a few months and Easter was late. Oh, it's over. I'm away home to relax. And I thought I'd be mischievous. I said, yeah. Isn't that what Jesus said? Indulge yourself, leave down your cross, and take a wee holiday. Which thankfully she liked 
on status rather than thought I was getting at her. But is it not what we think? We deserve that holiday. We deserve that extension. We deserve that car. We deserve that house. We deserve that we'll get the carpet in the room that we think of in the new building. You ever been to each other's houses? Have you ever looked at the variety of floors? Now put you all in the one place and say, let's floor a room back there in the new build. Do you know what that's going to be like? Do you know the only way through it? Grace interrupting. Others more important than you. Giving up your life for others. Resurrection. As the week goes on, let's not forget about Easter. Let me ask you three things for the week ahead. Homework, my word. I want you to ask, where has grace interrupted? Where are the real practicalities of that in your life? Where has love done? And what is love doing? I want you to ask yourself, are you living on momentum or impetus? Where is the power of resurrection fresh in your life right now? Over this weekend, over this next week. What is God driving us towards? Where is he wanting us to change? In your spiritual holiness and in your social holiness. And then how are you imagining the kingdom coming in your house, on your street, in your place of work, in this area and in Belfast? Let's ask ourselves, what is love doing to us? Let's ask ourselves, where is the power of resurrection? And where can we share in the sufferings of Christ to bring what he came to die and be raised to life to do? It's real. It's not a gimmick. I sat with a man yesterday morning who'd been released from prison 30 years ago yesterday. He'd only been free, he told me, since he was about nine years of age, for up to about four months before that. And he didn't really think that he would last much longer when he came out. But a week before he came out, he realized what Jesus had done for him. He realized what Jesus had done for him. But if I don't take the words out of his mouth, and he's told me I can tell the story, I don't think he realized at that moment what he was doing for him. Because he told me that as he got to know Christ and as he poured his life out to Christ and he experienced the forgiveness of Christ to come just as he was, that he still said to Jesus, thank you, Jesus, for my salvation, but I'm still going to murder that guy when I get out. He thought he was going back in because he was going to murder a guy when he went out. But it changed. He met the guy three weeks later, not far from where he was brought up. Walked into a house, didn't expect him to be there, and he was there, and he went over and he said, life's different now. He shook his hand. Everything was changed. Because Bobby Connolly knew what love had done. And Bobby Connolly's a testimony of what love is doing to individuals who gain this power of resurrection. 30 years. 30 years. Bobby will tell you, life's not always easy for him. But he told me yesterday, God has never let him down. This Jesus that we celebrate it in this, remembered in this cross, that we celebrate it in this resurrection, has the potency to interrupt our lives and transform them.
how is it with me? Let's pray. Lord, it's very easy to become complacent in our faith. We know what we believe. We can argue what we believe. We can articulate what we believe and we can get annoyed when people don't believe the same things as us and we can stand for what we believe as Christians. But Lord, what about your interruption of grace today? What about the impetus of the power of resurrection in our lives this moment? How are you changing our imaginations so that we might live radically different lives in the world that we live in? God, we pray that this morning we would know what love has done for us in the cross. That we would know that it is finished, that all of our sins have been dealt with. But Lord, that we would know so much more than that. That we would know the celebration of Easter Sunday's resurrection and that we, like Paul, would strive to know the power of that resurrection in our lives in the way that we live personally, in the way that we interrelate to those in this church, to the ways that we interrelate to those who are seen as enemies on the street or in our city or across our world. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't be living in the momentum of something that happened 2,000 years ago or even 10 years ago, but that today, we would know the incredible power of resurrection to transform us into a new life that starts at that empty tomb. Lead us from here, Lord, to be grace interrupters of resurrection living. In Jesus' name, amen.